It's a really bad origin story, to be honest with you. It really is. Honestly, it's better than some of my nicknames from back home. That's fair. Like, one of my nicknames was Kevin, just because at a restaurant I used to work at, one of the kitchen guys was like, you know what, I'm going to start calling you Kevin, and that was it. That was the entire story. Um, also, since we are recording now, do I start making the heretic jokes now, or do I save that for later? Uh, you know what, you do it whenever, I'll, I'll just delete them all. Welcome to the Barely Saved Podcast, where we have the discussions real Christians don't have. Here's your hosts. I can't do it without the music. <laughs> but my name is Vanilla Ice Cream. My name is Rachel. I am Mike, and I am back after a three-week hiatus. Or four, I can't remember. Man, it was so quiet without you here. And we have uh, a special... I don't know. Do we have special guests? Do we do that? No, we have guest hosts. We have other hosts? Yeah. We have an additional host who is not Caleb, who is, uh, if you don't know, currently in the hospital. And this person is not. So go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name's Ian. Um, I currently live in Oregon and I'm a Catholic. We'll fix that later. Um, <laughs> you can try. I mean... I'm like, I'm thinking of a song, but I I can't. I, I wouldn't even if I could try. I don't think that's the line I want to use. But so um, for, to be clear, the way you phrased that was odd. was awkward. But um, Caleb is in the hospital, and no, I I'm aware. I first off, I am aware that Caleb's in the hospital. Second, I'm aware that my phrasing of the statement was uh, awkward. And three, there will be no fixing of it. Which is why I'm fixing it for you, so that you can, when you edit it, it's fine. Just like a woman to want to fix everything. I don't... I think that's what you do. How many exasperated sighs am I going to have in this episode? Because apparently that's my... Those are those are my most notable things that I do on the podcast, is just I sigh a lot. Apparently I don't say anything worthwhile. Mike, if you make a joke right now, I will... <laughs> Drive to your area and castrate you. Yeah. I'm closer to you than, than anybody else on this podcast. Okay, but I just want to point it out. Rebecca, Rachel, Pastor Becky does not have a single malicious bone in her body. She couldn't castrate me if she wanted to. Hold on. Challenge accepted. I feel like if you really pushed her, she might. You think I don't have a malicious bone in my body? Not true, Militia. So wait, you're saying that she Malice? couldn't pick up a rifle Malice. and like shoot somebody with it? You're saying she's not a minute woman? <laughs> no, she's definitely not a minute woman. She might be a proud boy, but I don't know. I don't know if I've ever heard somebody say that I don't have a malicious bone in my body. That's How do you feel um, about that? Tell us, tell us how like, you feel. I feel like Mike uh, is more of an optimist than he lets on if he thinks that I don't have a malicious bone in my body. <laughs> do you think he's underestimating you? I really do. <laughs> See, the problem is you're too relational to have true malice in you is this like some sort of star wars thing i'm missing like true malice how is true malice different than fake malice yeah yeah like what what is malice if not true i've got a little bit of fake malice in this jar over here like <laughs> well i don't really know i'm not gonna explain myself very well yeah you're not gonna dig out of this hole so i'm just curious like i just i've never been described as that so i'm 
I think in my mind, when I think of maliciousness, I think of doing something to actively harm someone else without it being funny. It's actually trying to be hurtful. That's what I think of maliciousness as. Okay. I mean, I definitely think I'm capable, but... I I don't think you are. All right. Well, that's fine. You can be wrong. I, I would love to be proven wrong, too. So if you don't mind doing something... I don't want you to prove him wrong on that one. Are you asking her to castrate you? I mean, that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> that's what started this, right, Ian? That's... <laughs> yeah, I'm a little concerned about Mike's... Um, Mike, I mean, do you want kids? Because it seems like you're a little... Um... It's the weirdest kink we've ever heard on the podcast. Oh, Matt. Look, there was a saint who did that because he misunderstood Jesus' words. Matt, why'd you have to make it weirder than it already was? Yeah, you really just made it more weird, Matt. You should edit that out. We were already joking about castration, and you just somehow made it even worse. Hey, you know what? I've got a certain set of skills. It's obviously not joke-making about castration. Did you laugh? Yes, I did. (laughs) Okay, so there you go. And it's not the first castration joke I've made today. It's not the first castration joke any of us have made today, except Ian. Ian, did you make... (laughs) (laughs) What do you all talk about in your downtime? (laughs) There's a lot of castration jokes. (laughs) Welcome to my life. We're farmers, you know, what are you going to do? Ian, when we started this podcast, we had another female. And I wasn't completely outnumbered every week. And now I have been abandoned, which is a problem because I have abandonment issues. And now I'm alone. I don't think you've been abandoned. Oh, Lindsay totally abandoned us. If it makes you feel any better, I get called a woman all the time on accident. No, she didn't abandon us. Abandonment comes without notice. Like she told us full well that, hey, I got this thing happening and it's going to change things. Um, I don't think I don't think it changes whether you say, hey, I'm leaving and I hate you. Peace out. Yes. 100 percent. It makes a difference. No, it doesn't. If dad says I'm going to the corner store to get cigarettes and never comes home, that's different than sitting you down and saying, hey, bud, our mom and dad are getting divorced. It's going to be a difficult time. Those are different. One of them is abandonment. As someone else who, who has those abandonment issues. No, they're. My friend told me that he was going to another job and I knew he was going to another job and I still sobbed for days because he felt like he was abandoning me. Okay, but that's what makes them abandonment issues because abandonment is... No, you said that she abandoned us. She did. She didn't abandon us. She left. She, her, her leaving triggered your abandonment issues. That's fair. Okay, I'm with you, Matt. Um, It says... Okay... Cease to support or look after someone. Leave a place or vehicle empty or uninhabited without intending to return. She does intend to return if she ever can. She has returned to us even. Right. I'm reading all of... Dude, I'm leaving all of the... I'm reading all the definitions. Stop interrupting me. Um... Condemn someone or something to but to a specified fate by ceasing to take an interest in them. Give up completely a practice or way of thinking. Abandon what to allow oneself to indulge in a desire or impulse. That's different. Damn it. Okay. Like Ian has abandoned Orthodox Christianity for Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> I was never. I was never. <laughs> That's also, first off, there's so many things wrong with that statement. Because no Protestant can claim to be Orthodox Christians. Listen, it's more fun the way I say it. (laughs) 
Did we all forget my pill this morning? Is that what happened? <laughs> Did we all forget, Did we all my, forget pill? my med? Yes. <laughs> I actually remembered my meds last night. Oh, so man. there's nothing, but not. there's nothing in the definition of abandonment that implies uh, okay, discussing but Rebecca? it. Discuss- there's nothing in the definition that that uh, that says you have to discuss it beforehand for it to be to count as to, for it to not count as abandonment. I would like to say though that in common parlance, the way that we use the word, you can't just abandon something if you plan on coming back or if you've had a conversation with that thing. I disagree. I, I'm actually with Rachel on this one. Or Rebecca. Jeez. Man, I cannot believe y'all are so wrong on this one. It's okay. You can say Rachel. I it's all good. Plus then it then then it's my it's my cover name, you know? Wow 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 Well, there it is, boys and girls. Is that the didgeridoo? That was not bad, but it is going to be in the podcast. That was more of a didgeridon't, but that's fine. What is our animal story for the day? Also, it was the weirdest thing finding out that ukuleles in especially AG colleges is basically like guitars at other colleges. It's true. Really? It's it's kind of like the an acoustic bass. Yeah. If you can really play an acoustic bass. Because guitar, like, come on, you're at an AG college and you're, you can't play guitar? Like, what kind of person are you? Right? How can you be on the worship team? Right. You have to take it to the next step. So you either have to be able to play the mandolin or the ukulele or the acoustic bass. You know, you got to take it up. The ukulele was the most common at North Central when I was there. And these two are both Chi Alpha grads. And so they don't understand. They don't understand the cult that is an AG university. We actually went to actual universities. First off, go fork yourself. I did too. I have an actual degree in mathematics with a minor in biblical studies. That's a weird combination. I, I think if I strummed a single chord on one of my guitars in the presence of an AG school, I think I'd be instantly kicked out. Well, that depends. If the single chord is G sustained, you're fine. Oh, I saw this one. <laughs> yeah. So I actually saved the video on Twitter, or I put it somewhere, but I think it's in like my saved Facebook things, and I can't access it, so I had to just get another... Oh, this is great. Yeah, I'm sure everybody's already seen this, because it's actually a really popular story right now, but this is from the Palm Beach Post, and there's... This is, the, uh, this is what happens when Florida man is not white. You're not wrong. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? It's a crazy idea, but it works perfectly. Okay, hold on. I have a problem with this sub. So the the, the, the heading the on the article is corralling an alligator with a trash can creates new Florida man sensation and a warning, <laughs> apparently. And the sub te- the subheading is wildlife officials warn people not to use trash cans to catch nuisance alligators after a video went viral of Eugene Bozy's Steve Irwin-like moment. I have to say, that is not what Steve Irwin would have done. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I knew you were going to say that as soon as you read it, that that was your complaint. This is not what Steve Irwin would do. It is my complaint because Steve Irwin would not have done He would have jumped on the darn thing. Well, this man is a crocodile hunter, and just because he doesn't hunt the way you want him to. That's not how this goes. Look. Just because white culture tells us that we need to jump at dangerous animals and risk getting our arms bitten off doesn't mean that what he's doing is wrong. Ian, we went over this 
Alligators or crocodiles? I'm just saying that you shouldn't compare it to Steve Irwin. You can say, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just not what Steve Irwin would do. So don't say it. I think you can compare it to Steve Irwin and that you're just being sad because he's... No, he wouldn't do that. But he would catch the gator and move it to a safe place instead of killing it. So they are comparable. But he would have caught it by like jumping on it and securing its jaws and like doing it in the way that's not trapping it in a trash can. It's like Steve Irwin, but not fully Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin is trained, or rather was trained for that kind of a thing, whereas this guy looks like he is not and was doing the best with what he had. Okay, well, it's true. I'm just saying. Way to put a dart in the heart of that argument. Okay, so the best, he's a U.S. Army veteran, so that also, you know. Have we talked about the story at all? Yeah, we're still talking about it. What did he do? Does anyone actually said what he did? Okay, so he, so there's an alligator in the yard, and he took a trash can with two wheels on it, <laughs> the two-wheeled kind. I don't know if there's a better way to say that. Um, and, like, herded it backwards. He's in, what's, what makes it great is he's wearing Adidas slides with socks in Florida. What are you doing? Um, and, like, herds the gator into the trash can. Honestly, he did a pretty good job of it from the video I'm watching. He, he did great. And he did, yeah. I, I mean, I'm kind of impressed. I'm, oh, well, he, except when he dropped the lid too soon. That was not a good move. That was a rookie move. I think that actually, I think that actually helped him because it, it kind of coaxed the alligator into the bin. And I don't think that's on him. It's on everyone else because he said, let me know when this happens. And then they didn't or they, they messed it up. So I don't think that's on him. I think that's on the friends. He he released the uh, he released the gator, which he says didn't appear to be hurt. So he just tips over the gar- the garbage can and runs, <laughs> which is the proper way to do it. <laughs> which is the proper way to release a, a, an alligator. What are we saying? Should he have not done? I I don't think we're saying that he shouldn't have done any of those things. But that's what the Florida people said. Well, it was saying that in general that you shouldn't do that and you should call experts to come replace or to come remove them, I think. Listen, how much does an expert cost? I don't know. I mean, if they're from like the Florida DNR, they shouldn't cost anything. I feel like that should be a free service in Florida. A gator removal? How long does it take for them to get there? I don't know. See, I just think that Florida is, this man is an entrepreneur and a uh florida catching trash cans. He, he's gonna start a service right he's gonna have his own line of trash cans at this point trash gators i, I think that they've uh they're overreacting on this yeah well, you've heard of trash pandas it's time for trash gators i will say my only critique is that he should have uh caught it killed it and barbecued it oh rude um that that gator's not big enough i did just look it up so florida has a statewide nuisance alligator program snap for short Yep. Of course. Of course, it's Snap. <laughs> and they do remove nuisance alligators uh, for free. So they are more, con- they're just more concerned that somebody else will get hurt. They do only remove alligators of at least four feet in length, anything smaller, and they say it's not big enough to be a danger to anything. My chihuahua disagrees. You don't have a chihuahua. His hypothetical chihuahua. My hypothetical hyper chihuahua. That was a great story. Thank you, Pastor Becky. Pastor Becky's Animal Corner. And now it's time for Mike to play our transmission music. That was something. All right, now uh, it's time for the Malcolm. 
which, as you all know, this week we're trying to deconvert Ian. Oh, right. Okay. From Catholicism back to the one true religion, Mormonism. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, it's funny you mention that because um, Mormons actually are more likely to go to Catholicism than standard Protestantism. Oh, that makes perfect sense. On one sole issue. Soaking. No. Gosh, no. Um, Somehow I got on soaking TikTok recently. Did not know what that was. It's a whole like... It bothers me. There's an entire TikTok subgenre dedicated to that. I mean, it's TikTok, man. But no, the the one issue is is, um, basically authority. Um, And so like if you can disprove to a Mormon that Joseph Smith was not like a true prophet of God, they will fully admit Catholicism is the one true religion. There's a fun, there's a fun, we've talked about this before, but there's a a problem in fundamentalism where people don't leave fundamentalism. They just change fundamentalism, right? Like actual deconstruction involves deconstructing your thought process, not just the things that you believe. So uh, you look at someone like Joshua Harris. We've talked about Josh Harris before, who was like super, yeah, super fundamentalist. And now he's like switched over. But not fundamentalist, but like capitalism Christianity, and now has switched over to capitalism atheism, where he's like, come join my seminar where you too can deconstruct for only $275. Now, again, he took that down, but his his thought process hasn't changed. Or you look at someone like um, Abraham Piper, uh, John Piper's son, who went from where he was to where he is now. And I don't know if he's necessarily like a jerk about it, but he's still a fundamentalist atheist. So you don't lose that fundamental like that. That is what deconstruction should do. Change you from your fundamentalism into understanding that there are multiple streams and that there's a lot going on here. And but for so many people, like you mentioned with Mormons, you don't lose the fundamentalism. You just go into a new fundamentalism. I suppose. uh, I, I don't know if I would necessarily relate that to fundamentalism in and of itself. I mean, typically. And you might be using it a bit differently. Typically, when I think of fundamentalism, it's those who, at least with within Christianity, it's those who hold that the Bible is entirely and 100% literal, except for those times where I say it's not because I have arbitrarily decided as such. I would say when I'm speaking over here, it's more of the, the structure, not necessarily like fundamentalism as a a biblical framework, but fundamentalism as a, a thought framework where we can we can say that things might have some sort of nuance, but my belief system doesn't. Or I need the authority in this instance specifically. So like that desire still exists. You can't, it's hard to shake that desire for some authority. But I mean, I I would argue that we as Christians should seek out a proper authority, whether that's found within, you know, within Catholicism, it's the magisterium of the church um the same would be said of of the um the orthodoxy they would say it's it's the magisterium of their own churches um uh along with tradition and and the scriptures um yeah i'm gonna say hard pass on those two patriarchal societies i we can get to that later um um (laughs) you know i mean within protestantism it's it's the authority is the bible alone um but then, you know, where does it derive its authority from would be the question. Yeah, anyway, um, you know, getting to why I'm actually here. <laughs> um, 
because uh, Kayla, because when Caleb and I had talked, uh, and I assume he relayed the same to you guys that I would be talking about my uh, what brought me to Catholicism and and um, and kind of like answering some of your guys' questions about it and such. Yes, that's what we've heard. There was an earlier conversation where I don't listen and pay attention, so that's applies here. Basically, it was like this person's coming on who converted from AG to Catholicism, and we're going to talk to him, and that was about it. But that was the gist. So, I mean, that's what I was expecting. (laughs) Caleb, if you're listening, you're the worst. Love you, Caleb. And please don't die. To die is to gain. Isn't that the whole thing? I'm already dead to myself. (laughs) Well, honestly, we can can relate to the the deconstruction of of the faith and such. Um, Because, honestly, that's kind of where things started for me. Um, So, I mean, short story, uh, I grew up in a... uh, um, charismatic protestant background um you know as a kid back in oklahoma uh we went to a a charismatic non-denom church uh moved to wisconsin went to a charismatic non-denom church for years uh then we went to a four square church and then once i moved out of my parents house i started attending an ag church um uh, mainly just because they had a young adult group and as far as i could tell their um uh their Beliefs seem to be about the same as Foursquare, and I would find out later. Obviously, they're basically the same because the Foursquare came out of the AG. Um, and then I attended an AG college. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've been in the charismatic Protestant realm basically my entire life. Um, that's, that's what I've pretty much known. But anyway, when I was like an early teen, I want to say like 13, 14 years old, um, I kind of realized that there were some issues in what I was reading in the Bible and kind of what I was being told in the church, whether explicitly or implicitly, you know, things like, like about angels, you know, in, in within Protestant churches, and I don't know what all of your experiences are, but typically my experience has been like, sure, angels are real and that's it. Like there's no, basically since um gabriel appeared to mary that's basically like the last time angels have ever interacted with humans um and they don't do anything for us i I, like i even was explicitly told like there's no such things as guardian angels things like that um and none of that really sat right with me because that's not what the bible seems to teach um about that uh, specifically that topic but other topics obviously came up um and uh and so I like I had to think about like well why why do I believe what I believe um and it got to the point where I didn't really know what I believed other than the one thing I knew for sure was that God was real. I knew that much. And I I I believed fully that he came down in the person of Jesus as a man died on the cross and that our uh that our sins are atoned for by that sacrifice. That much I could believe, but anything outside of that, I was, I was like, I don't know how to support any of my other beliefs or why I should believe any of them beyond that. So then I tried, you know, as much as I could with an, as a teenager with limited access to the internet because we had satellite internet where we lived at the time. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I tried to do what, you know, what research I could, um, but honestly, it was pretty difficult. Um, it wasn't until, <laughs> funny enough, uh, it wasn't until I got on Reddit in like 2012 um, 
which, you know, we all know how great Reddit is, right? Um, <laughs> um, it wasn't until I got on Reddit that I found, like, uh, the, the Christian subreddits, like, uh, well, our Christianity, our Christian, um, our Orthodox, uh, etc., that I started, like, learning more about the faith and what, you know, what is taught, what has been taught. Part of the reason I joined our Orthodox at the beginning was because I didn't actually know what the Eastern Orthodoxy were. I just thought it meant like, oh, we're Orthodox Christians. And I was like, well, I think I'm Orthodox, so I want to join them and and hope to learn and understand better what I believe. And I, I did end up learning quite a bit through them um, way back then, but it didn't all fully like click at all. Um, it was like, okay, like I, I kind of get this. This all makes sense or lines up with what I've been taught for most of my life, but I still don't fully get it. So then a few years go by uh, and I started attending at NCU. And the so they, they changed the curriculum like right before I got there. And so instead of the systematic theology classes, I mean, they were still basically systematic theology classes. They just called them a different name. Um, they called them the God and classes. Um, so there was God and the gospel, God and religion, God and culture, and God and something. I think God and the arts, I think was the other one. So it was, it was in those classes that I really started to learn more about like historical Christian belief and like why we as Christians believe what we believe the you know the the biblical basis for the beliefs the historical basis for the beliefs the the historical precedence uh for the persistence of those beliefs you know that's where I learned about like the ecumenical councils and such like that um and that really opened my eyes up to like okay this is this gives me an actual like foundational uh reason behind the beliefs um, and I actually became like more of, <laughs> more of a faithful Protestant during that time because, um, because I finally felt like I had an understanding of the beliefs beyond just like, this is what we believe. And that's it. I now had a, a foundation for it all. Anyway, fast forward a little bit. I met some guys through, uh, swing dancing, actually. Um, and they happened to be Catholic and we would get in the one of the first nights that we interacted, we went out to eat at Perkins um, and just had a really good night of, of dialogue and conversation about our like what we believed, what was similar between our beliefs, what was different. Um, obviously, at the time, like I disagreed with things about like Mary and the Pope, but most Catholic doctrines I didn't disagree with because Frankly, <laughs> the the I'll I'll say this for a a non liturgical um, Protestant group, the AG is one of the closest in doctrinal teachings to the Catholic Church, and so it you know we just we worked on that that we had this we had common ground in in most of the beliefs and teachings, right? Uh, and then eventually, like I. I, at first, I was nervous to ever like attend a Catholic service because uh, my my dad is ex Catholic, and so um, he kind of we kind of grew up with a very anti Catholic attitude as as children uh, in our family uh, because of that, and so what I, I I was frankly I was nervous to ever go into a Catholic church because I'm like, well, what if you know my dad finds out and you know he, he thinks I'm turning Catholic and whatever, and so I freaked out about that until finally I was like, well. It really shouldn't matter, one, because I'm an adult, and two, because, you know, I don't really believe any of this, and so I can just go as a means of, like, 
understanding and learning the Catholic faith better. Um, that way I can dialogue better with Catholics and, you know, maybe help them realize why their beliefs are wrong for those few beliefs that we disagree on. Um, anyway, so I, I attended a Catholic service and, and I realized it was very similar, one, to the Lutheran services I attended as a kid whenever we'd visit our grandparents. Um, and two, it was very similar to the, um, the chapels that one of our, uh, uh, one of our professors would hold. Um, anytime uh, he would hold chapel, he would uh, he would treat it very similarly to um, historical Christian liturgy, uh, and at the end of it, would di- they would distribute communion. Um, and I even I even went to a couple of his talks where he explained like, hey, here's the historical evidence for this is how Christians practiced the liturgy as as far back as we can tell, um, and. Um, that practice that he brought into the chapel was nearly identical to the the Catholic liturgy. Um, and that kind of struck with me of, of, you know, if this is the historical practice, why don't we still do that now? I didn't really have a, there's no reason to not do it now. And so I kept, uh, I kept kind of learning and, and, and talking. Eventually I started, those guys that I met through swing dancing, we ended up, uh, after I graduated, we got a house together and we lived together for a while. And, you know, we would uh, we would pray together. We would have worship nights together because um, I had started inviting them to the praise and worship nights at NCU. Uh, and, you know, they absolutely loved it because they, they come from a charismatic Catholic background themselves. And so we, uh, uh, one night, um, we were having another one of our praise and worship nights with some of our friends uh, a little over two years ago now, actually. And in the midst of it, I was praying. Oh, actually, I need to back up. So before that, uh, one of the guys in the house, he had wanted to attend a local parish that does Latin masses only. Um, so most of the most of the masses these days are what's called the Novus Ordo. Um, it's it's actually much more similar to the ancient right uh, or the ancient liturgy, um, but they allow what's called the local vernacular. So. They're largely done in English with a little bit of Greek and Latin thrown in for the specific prayers. Um, uh, but anyway, so this guy had wanted to attend the traditional Latin mass, and uh, I went with him one time just as, again, as like a, a learning opportunity. I'm like, yeah, I'm, this is also part of the Catholic history. I should learn about this and understand where everything comes from. Um, <laughs> and the moment I walked in, I literally I could feel the Holy Spirit telling me, like, this is where I want you. And I was really confused by that because up until this point, I still had no intention of becoming Catholic. Um, I was still like, this is all just for learning for me so I can better dialogue with Catholics. Um, so I was really confused and I uh, like I didn't know what to do with that. And so then fast forward to that praise and worship night, um, you know, I'm sitting there praying and I feel like God's telling me, like, I want you to I want you to join my church. And I'm like, well, what church? What do you mean your church? I want you to join the Catholic church. I was like, God, I, that, how can that be your church? I, all my life I've known that that's not your church. How can that be your church? And that's, he wouldn't give me much more than that. And I kept praying and I kept praying uh, until finally I was like, okay, God, if this really is you, you know, I, I need some kind of confirmation. So I know it's coming from you and not something else. You know, if this is, if this is something that you want for me, um, then, you know, give me, give me a date. Um, tell, tell me a date, 
if it's on a Sunday, um, I'll I'll go talk to the priest uh, the next day and you know see if I can join the Catholic Church. Here, still thinking like this isn't from God. I'm gonna get some random date and it's gonna be nothing and and I can ignore it. Um, <laughs> the date I, I, that I he puts on my heart is December eighth. I look it up. It is in fact a Sunday, and for any Catholics who happen to listen to this besides myself, um, they would be familiar with December eighth is also a Marian feast day, um, which I was like, uh, I had no idea at the time. Um, but anyway, so I, I, the next day I went and talked to the priest. I'm like, Hey, um, this is kind of weird for me to ask because I don't know what to do here, but I feel like I'm being called to join the Catholic church. Uh, can you help me with that? Uh, and so he took down my info. I started, uh, he started meeting with me one-on-one. Um, (laughs) we actually, uh, we kind of sped through my, my, uh, so it's what it the process is known as RCIA the right of christian and the right of christian initiation for adults um it's basically a program that's run at parishes to uh help people get entered into the church but we sped through mine because uh as he put it i already basically understood and believed all of the doctrinal beliefs of the church there were just a few other things that needed to be added in like up until that point, I still kind of had issues with Mary and with the Pope. Um, but, you know, after we talked together for a while, eventually he kind of clear, clarified those issues I had. And, and um, I was able to comfortably enter into the church. Um, but yeah, so here I am now, two years later and still Catholic. So what were some of the uh, the issues specifically? Let's we'll, we'll sit on Mary for a second. What are some of the issues? Um surrounding Mary that you had and how, how are those, um, assuaged? Right. Um, so, I mean, I, I think the obvious ones would be like, well, like her perpetual virginity or, um, kind of the reverence that Catholics have for Mary in general. Um, I actually, uh, I didn't have any issues with her title Theotokos or mother of God. Um, cause that was something that was explained, um, in my God and religion course at, at NCU is that the title Theotokos is not an is not a title that any Christian should have an issue with, um, and in fact is is a title to combat heresy, because um, uh, all it all it means is not that Mary, like generated God, of uh, what it means is that Mary gave birth to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, um, and while he was divine before she ever was, she still gave birth to him and was his mother. Um, and so like that, I never had an issue with because it's to, to, to deny her the title of Theotokos is, is to deny Christ's divinity at any point after his conception. Um, but besides that, um, trying to think of some of the other Marian stuff. Well, you mentioned the perpetual virginity. I think that that's something that might cause a lot of hangouts for people. Yeah, that one, um, that one was like kind of an issue for me, mainly just because I didn't. Like, I didn't really understand why. Yeah, I I just didn't understand why it was like an important doctrine. Um, like, I didn't have issues with it specifically, insofar as like it, you know, it doesn't necessarily contradict scripture. Um, it's just not explicit within scripture. And so, but basically, the the my understanding of it is that um, 
the short explanation of my understanding is that it it kind of strengthens the argument that she was a virgin um, even before Christ's uh, birth um, because um, like obviously she needed like if she wasn't a virgin there's no reason to believe that that Christ was divine um, if she was if she had had relations with anyone before him um, then like obviously the Eastern Orthodoxy also believes in the perpetual virginity of Mary um, the early Lutherans did as well and I think most uh, high church Lutherans do um, I believe uh, actually I think all of the early reformers believed in the perpetual virginity of Mary um, it's actually a very modern um, teaching that she wasn't a perpetual virgin. Which makes sense in the puritanical nature. The puritanical nature of how sex was viewed throughout the medieval church. So you have to, so by changing uh, Mary's virginity you uh, to non-perpetual, you don't have to worry about, or you can emphasize sexual uh, purity in a different way. Because if Mary's perpetually a virgin, um, that can change some of the things we believe. But if she had sexual relations inside of a marriage, specifically with Joseph, um, that would change our view of sex based on her, or it could, I'm not saying it necessarily had to, but I can understand that it being a part of the Puritan movement. Well, what, what would, for you, what would the, um, the, like, if you were to, I don't think it changed anything for me. I'm just saying like in general, like that's, I think why it, it entered the conversation. I think um, historically there's an issue in um, we see when we see how sex was treated in the medieval world in general. Um, and this view of, um, you know, because she was the mother of Christ, uh, there's no way she could have sullied herself by having sex ever um, because it, because sex was painted as always a dirty thing to do um, regardless of, the necessity of it. Um, so, so the, so if we, if we acknowledge that Mary had other kids, that she probably had sex with Joseph at some point, then that, that, that confronts kind of the ideologies or it confronts, um, our ability to say like, oh, the mother of God was perpetually pure, or perpetually a virgin. Um, and, uh, because from a medieval historical perspective, like sex was like a almost a, a necessary evil in a lot of teachings. So there's two kind of issues with that. One is that the the teaching of the perpetual virginity of Mary dates back to at least the second century, if not earlier. Um, we have, I mean, we have we have writings from the earliest Christians that that attest to that. Um, and I, I, you'd be hard-pressed to find any of them saying that sex is dirty or wrong in some way. Um, but, I mean, as far as her being sullied, it's not so much that she's sullied by sex, because sex is obviously, um, it's something that is allowed, not just allowed, it's, it's commanded within the correct circumstances. Um, uh, but that Mary would, would, uh, keep herself kind of set apart from others through that um, doesn't necessarily enforce this puritanical view of sex 
Uh, that's also, I mean, that's not even really good nomenclature because the Puritans were very much like the historical Puritans, especially those who came to America were. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's not good. Right. No, I'm not talking about the Puritan. I'm not talking about the time period. I'm talking more um, how it invaded the medieval world and how it was taught. And those things were taught in the medieval world. And I mean, that was kind of my. Yeah, to a point. Like, it, it wasn't a good or correct teaching. Even the Catholic Church is like, this isn't what we taught. Like, this isn't what we defined as a dogmatic or doctrinal teaching. That is, while it was a widespread teaching, it's not something the Catholic Church accepted. And why it, why it spread is, honestly, it doesn't make sense to me because um, sex within the confines of a, a dedicated marriage to that is... It's pretty great. Perfectly acceptable. Um, but... Mike gives it one star... If I remember right, the basis for the belief uh, was also in combat to, I don't remember which heresy of the time. Um, yeah, just name one. There's there's so many then. <laughs> there's so many heresies. Name Marcionism. We'll call it a day. Right. Uh, but basically, it was it was in partially in combat to a heresy um, that said that um, that Jesus was uh, conceived. Uh, Basically, like, conceived of as human. I think it was partially in combat to Nestorianism, actually. Um, is why it was specifically and dogmatically defined. Um, but as far as the historical belief, I mean, it, it, the belief was there basically since the beginning. Anyway, so that's the perpetual virginity of Mary. Um, some of the others, like, trying to think of some of the other, uh, other issues I had. Oh, um, probably the, the, so, um, Obviously, within the Catholic Church, Mary is venerated um, nowhere nearly as highly as God, but higher than all other saints. And uh, that's in part because she was the mother of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, uh, and also in connection to um, the title uh, Mary, Queen of Heaven, uh, which references and refers back to the, um, during the uh, Jewish kingdom's uh, period, uh, the mother of the king was the queen mother. Um, and since Christ is our king in heaven, therefore Mary is the queen mother uh, or queen of heaven. Makes logical sense. Most of the, most of the, the beliefs and, and statements or titles about Mary, like admittedly aren't explicit in the Bible, but can either be logically derived from the text um, or are implicit in some scriptures. Um, so... I don't know. I, I don't know what issues you guys might have with Mary. Um, those are the ones that I can remember. I'm chill with Mary. I'm more chill than I used to be with Mary. Um, I have issue. I, I, I do have issue with the focus being so much on her often. Like um, uh, my daughter was invited to go to the Catholic uh, Church's VBS program one year. And she actually wasn't old enough yet, so she couldn't go anyway. But the... The whole the whole focus of the VBS was on was was like tracking appearances of Mary throughout the world, um, and I and that just was like, um, no, <laughs> thanks. Like that's that, that's not. I mean, it, it's fine that that's what they want to practice, like, but and uh, like supernatural things, but for like an entire something that says that calls itself vac- vacation Bible school to be. Um, focused on that i was just super uncomfortable with sure um and didn't want my kid like jesus is the focus of our faith right 
not Mary and not the Bible, even Jesus is. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I have issue with the perpetual virginity because, um, because of historically how sexuality has been addressed with women. And I think a lot of it stems from, from, from that doctrine. And I think it's faulty when we look at her, the fact that Jesus had siblings. So I think it's incorrect, like logically that way, just, uh, I don't think it removes – I don't think we need to remove her importance. Like, I don't think it minimizes her importance for her to have been – to have mothered other children and to have had sex. Like, I don't – and I don't think it removes any of Christ's divinity either. To have her – I don't think it's required for her to be a perpetual virgin, even logically, for for Christ to be divine. Um, so that's a big, a big thing for me. I mean, I have other issues, but for – but those those are my big ones with Mary. On a couple of those things, as far as Jesus' siblings, um, anywhere you read in the Bible about his siblings, it almost always refers to him as the mother or the the son of Mary and his siblings or his brothers and sisters. Um, they never they never call the other siblings uh, the the children of Mary, um, or they call them the children of the other Mary if they do refer to them in that way. Um, so in that specific sense, there is there is a perfectly his, uh, both logical and historical argument to be made that if they are his true siblings, as far as like actual brothers and sisters, they're not of Mary, but of Joseph's previous marriage. Yeah, you walked into that one, Rachel. I did. But at the same time, I think then I think you're making an argument from silence in scripture versus. Well, no, uh, because the other so the other two things is that. Um, Historically, Hebrew uh, and Aramaic did not have words for si- uh, for cousins, rather. And so when translated into Greek, while Greek did have those words, um, there's reason to believe that if, if it was when, when the Gospels were being written, that they just used the, um, the Greek word adelphoi um, to mean the same thing because the Jewish relation was that if you are of my parents' siblings, you are also my siblings. Um, so those siblings of his may have also been cousins. Um, we don't know which for sure. And the other thing is just historically, um, the, the belief of the church since the beginning, um, as, as far as the earliest writings go that say specifically have all said that they were, um, that they weren't his literal, uh, half siblings from Mary. They were either Joseph's children from a previous marriage or were cousins, um, as far as the appearances of Mary, I don't have as much. I don't have as much issue with like saying there's appearances. I have issue with making an entire VBS for children focused on that. That's that's my issue. Not, you know. Sure, uh, and the and the the anything to do with Mary always points back back to Jesus. Um, is is always the teaching of the Catholic Church. Anything about Mary is a reflection of Jesus. Um, so when uh. You know, I mean, that, uh, the, the title Queen of Heaven is, is a perfect example of that, in that she is only Queen of Heaven because of Jesus. Um, she is only the Mother of God because of Jesus. Without Jesus, she is nothing. She has nothing. Um, so it's always about Jesus. So anything that's said of Mary is, is really meant to reflect and recall on who Jesus is. I can understand that's the point, but I don't think that's how it plays out in actual practicality, it seems like. so It's like initial physical evidence. It's not it's not supposed to be special but 
we know. Yeah, I, I would say if you talk to, to any like regularly attending Catholic who, even if they don't necessarily know their beliefs well, if they're just someone who goes every Sunday and that's all they do, they'll still tell you that like the extent of Mary's veneration is to call to mind who Jesus is. And that's that's the extent of it. I can't speak much for people who don't attend regularly or are, you know, like they go for Christmas and Easter and that's it. But anyone who regularly attends, they understand that the extent of, of Mary's focus is to recall who Jesus is. Yeah, I think I, that the way you explained it to Ian, like that makes sense. And that even puts mm-hmm. some of like my biases against uh, the, the Catholic Church in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of to bed. I'm still, I don't know. I, I think the argument for Mary's perpetual virginity is just odd to me mm-hmm. because because it feels like it's from silence <clears throat> and it also yeah. assumes things that the Gospels did not really care about, to, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, well, okay, but here's the thing. You're, you're, what, what we have here is a systematic decision for, right and and that's that's where the issue comes into play is is where when you bring systematics into it this is an answer for a systematic problem but the the people who are writing the text don't seem to have had an issue with this at all like it wasn't a thing they were concerned about otherwise you know you, you think we have it written down somewhere um but they're not as concerned about that that's a systematic issue that we bring to the text asking those questions yeah and i'm also i'm a little curious what you mean by an argument from silence when i i feel like i gave positive evidence i mean obviously you know i'd have to share the specific um writings with you but well you're you're giving evidence from you know the the early church which isn't like necessarily a bad evidence like don't don't hear me wrong there but just because tertullian says it like tertullian has his whole despeculus right but i still watch tv so it's just because the early church fathers are making an argument, and, and they make some good arguments sometimes, but I don't, because I don't uh, venerate, venerate is not the right word, but because I don't have tradition in the same level, sure. I don't necessarily grasp onto what they say. Like, I disagree with Augustine more often than I agree with him. And for some people, that's like a, a triggering moment that you would say, like, I don't know, Augustine, that seems a little off. Um, just ask Martin Luther. But... It, it's for me, it's not a big deal because I, I take what they've said and I still weigh that evidence against the specific text, not against and what others have said, but not just against what others have said. Right. There's a higher weight of authority in the text than there is in the fathers. Sure. Which I know is the same for a Catholic, but I'm, I'm going to hold the fathers to a lesser extent than most Catholics would. Sure. Um, but that the fathers themselves are still historical evidence, at least for, for historical Christian belief. Yeah. I mean, they, they do seem to show a belief system there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not, that. that's why I'm just trying to clarify what you mean by an argument from silence. Cause that's clearly, there were people talking about it. That's, that's what I'm trying to understand. An ar- oh, sorry. so an argument from silence, it, from from what I mean when I say an argument from silence, is you're taking something the Bible didn't explicitly say and making an argument out of it. And I, I would go further and say not just an argument, but um, I don't even know if I'd go doctrine, but I would at least say um, th- there's more to it than just a, well, we think this. Does that make sense? 
I think I think that's uh, what I'm saying because, and I I do not read early church fathers. That's uh, you're I I'm a heretic. I'm also yep. Lutheran, so innately I have to disagree with the Catholic Church. Um, I get it, yeah. but. <laughs> Much love, Ian. Funny enough, apparently it's really common for a lot of uh, converts from Protestantism to Catholicism to go Lutheran first, um, which I was unfamiliar with until I learned that recently from some other converts I was talking to. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. Um, but uh, so like I said, I, I don't I have not I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you who Tortugan is. Uh, that's an island. That's a place in the Caribbean. I don't even yeah. know. Haven't you seen Pirates of the Caribbean? Tortuga is where you pick up wenches. I know Tortuga. I don't know this church Tortuga. Tertullian, you mean? Whatever the heck his name is. <laughs> um, but he he put together an idea that I don't see in scripture, which to me means that he brought something else from like somewhere else, mm-hmm. Q, if you would, into it. And sure. so if if using the scripture alone, I can't come to that conclusion. That's where yeah. I'm like, it seems like he's adding something. Right. And so that actually, that kind of gets into one of the other reasons that I, uh, started to have issues with Protestantism is that I could not accept Sola Scriptura as a teaching. Oh, I don't, I don't accept Sola Scriptura either. Just for the record. Um, one, just, uh, like <laughs> partly because, and, um, I think this is actually technically an argument from silence is that um, the Bible does not teach sola scriptura like anywhere you can use text. You can use text to try to defend it, but all of the texts that defend it. Yeah, we need to let's go ahead and define it. I say for for our listeners who might not know that (laughs) that phrase, which one sola scriptura. It also depends on who you're talking to, because some people define it differently and uh, some of the definitions don't make sense to me, but, but I say I don't think I've actually ever heard a full definition of it. I just kind of know the general idea. The typically used definition of sola scriptura is that the Bible and only the Bible is an infallible source of of or, or I- infallible authority for uh, teaching. I would say not infallible. I would I would lose the infallible, and you've got it. Sola Scriptura, by its nature, is that the Bible is the only authoritative source for teaching. It doesn't have to be infallible. It doesn't have to be inerrant. It's the only authoritative source. That So I would say that that's actually different than most people would, for those who do know Sola Scriptura, who uh, most would use infallible in their definition. They would use infallible in their definition, but they wouldn't. Hmm, they're idiots and don't know what they're talking about because, because when you actually look at it, the infallibility doesn't matter. Right, whether or not it's infallible is immaterial to its uh, to its soliness, if that makes any sense. Right, um, it's just that the Bible is the thing that we base our authority on, and so we make our claims based on that. Whether it's infallible or not, in the actual sense, doesn't necessarily change that piece of the doctrine. Now, they do believe in infallibility. Most people who are sola scriptura. But it does. I don't think it adds to the definition of sola scriptura. And by infallible, what do we mean by that? We're adding more terms, guys. The usage here um, and the way I will typically use it, uh, meaning that it does not deviate from truth. Um, now that doesn't mean like. Uh, so when we say uh, like, especially when um, when Catholics say that. Uh, now, I'm gonna use and define a couple terms here. So the Catholic Church would say that the. 
Bible is inerrant. However, their usage of inerrant here is more similar to the typical Protestant usage of infallible for the scripture. Um, in that it, not that the Bible doesn't contain some um, literal or historical error as far as like, uh, you know, some of the battles described. Like, obviously some of, some of those battles didn't have millions and millions of people because I don't think there were even that many people alive at the time. But rather the truth conveyed within those stories is fully true and, you know, not deviating from that truth. Insofar as like, um, you know, maybe there weren't really a million people fighting another million people, but the one side really did defeat the other, so to speak. Um, and so that's, that's what's meant here by infallible is that, uh, regardless of the literal facts, the truth conveyed by either the stories or the facts presented is still fully true, despite what the literal facts may be, if that follows. And so to go back to Sola Scriptura, the idea is that everything that you need for faith is found solely in the text and nothing outside of it is needed to talk about what's in the text. So those oh, something's right. outside of the text could be um, church fathers, Mark Driscoll, uh, <laughs> textual criticism of the ancient Near East, kind of like like those would all be stuff outside of scripture. Yes, literally anything outside of scripture is outside of scripture by the, by the definition of how words work, um, <laughs> um, by the nature of how words work. But um, specifically, um, so, so specifically, my John Walton commentary explaining to me how uh, things get. Uh, be created by not necessarily them taking up physical space, but being named and purpose given. That's technically outside of the Bible, even though it's kind of in the Bible of its idea. Sure. That, that is outside oh. of. Okay. Yeah. No, that's actually perfect. So you don't need to understand pure solo scriptura people. Like I'm talking like crazy ones. Don't think that you need the historical context. Yeah, and I think I think that's where we get into um, religious fundamentalism as far as relating to the scriptures. Right. As uh, with that, that's that that's underneath the plain reading of the text, people, which really means the plain reading of the translation that I have in my in my hand. Yeah. And if it's not King yeah. James, it's good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me. Listen, y'all need to lay off King James. All right, it wasn't that bad of a translation. As a as a early English translation, it's not a bad translation. It's phenomenal. Um, obviously, it's difficult to read now as modern English speakers, but when it was written or when it was made at the time, it wasn't a bad translation. Not like the ESV. Shots fired. I actually really like the ESV. It's got a lot of problems. Don't even go there. I will throw down. Okay, okay, okay. I won't go there. I won't go there. Um. Anyway. Um. So anyway, so I had, I I. Uh, going back to what I said earlier, I, I begin to have issues with Sola Scriptura because, uh, partly in because, I mean, one, the before Christianity, the, the Jews didn't only have the scriptures, they had their traditions uh, that were, you know, whether given to God or, or man-made, they, they had both. Um, and two, from the point of uh, Christ's death and resurrection and ascension into heaven to when, I think Paul wrote the first letter that is now in the bible uh to win to win the first like written word that is now in our new testament was written at the earliest i think most of the evidence says like 
30 years difference. Give 20 years. 20. Okay, 20 years. So, I mean, that's that's 20 years where they didn't have what we now call the New Testament. They had just what was referred to as the gospel. And that was an entirely, uh, it, was an, it was a spoken message. Um, now, they, they, there's good evidence to suggest that they did have letters from some of the apostles that were spread around, um, but they weren't held to the authority that our New Testament is. Uh, as well, because a lot of them were very, like, highly specific to the, those churches, much like uh, Paul's letters to the various churches tend to be highly specific, but we can draw general truth and meaning out of those letters. And as and anyway, so I, I realized that given that gap, that must mean that there was something that was holding those early Christians together that wasn't just the scripture. Like, yes, they had the what we call the Old Testament, but they had to have more than just that. Um, the only thing that made sense to me was that they're like, obviously they had themselves, the whole church body, um, but there must've been something persisting within it, uh, which, um, the Catholic church would refer to as sacred tradition. And even, even, uh, even Paul talks about in, I think, I want to say, oh gosh, which of his letters he, he writes so many letters and I get them all mixed up, but he mentions somewhere uh, about the um, the traditions and words we have, or the traditions and gospel we have given you, um, continue to spread those. So even Paul makes mention of there are traditions that are meant to be held on to, and so I came to that conclusion that there must be some authoritative tradition that goes alongside with the scriptures that we have now. My understanding is when Paul speaks of that, I'm looking up for the reference, but it's um... if you can find what it is, I don't remember the reference offhand. My understanding is that the the context is he's speaking about the Lord's Supper, like he's talking about things that have already already been practiced. It's not like a, what are these other things that they're doing? Yeah, the specific context, I think you would be right on that. Uh, and I think it's First Corinthians eleven. Where is my Bible? I think it's in my living room right now. Now I praise you because you remember me and everything and hold fast to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. See, the problem I have with thinking that's like a traditional, like, this is what we're doing kind of thing is really going to pull on 1 Corinthians uh, 15, um, because everything that Paul does is according to the scripture. And so if they're if they're practicing traditions, it does seem as if those are going to come out of Judaism for which they already have scripture. There's no indication besides baptism, which Jesus talks about, and... Uh, the Eucharist, which Jesus talks about, that there were new traditions added to the Judaic practices. In fact, most of them were stripped away. So not so much, not so much new traditions, but more so like um, fulfilled traditions, um, in the way that that um, or, or or replacement traditions, uh, in the way that baptism replaces circumcision. Um, but you can't say that baptism just strictly replaces. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but at the same time, the the scriptures even say that baptism replaces circumcision. Right, but but baptism is already a practice observed, so yeah. it's not a new. It's it's more, I would say, a reimagined practice. It's to say it's a replacement. I, I think Peter's riffing more than he's saying at that point. I mean, it's not just Peter; it's Paul as well, and I think even. No, I don't think John talks about it at all, actually, now that I think about it. I think it's just Peter and Paul. Where does Paul talk about it? I, I can't pull that off of my head right now. I want to say in Romans. Hold on. I mean, Peter's really explicit about it. 
I do think um, one of the things that, like, as we're going into this, this is changing. It's, it's still on topic, but it's changing direction just because um, as the only female in the room. Um, You're a female? Listen, I just I just recognize you as a person. I don't anyway. see gender. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, Mike. Like, I heard it in my head. Before you actually, before it actually came out of your mouth, like I have, I have my, I have a close friend who her and her husband attend the local Catholic church, and her her husband and I butt heads for fun because he's a contractor and he has nobody else that'll talk theology with him. Um, so we, you know, have a grand old time. Um, but um, you know, I as a as a female pastor, as someone who's called to ministry or whatever, and is working in vocational ministry, um, it's it's a hard sell to get me to try and join a system of religiousness that says that I can't preach God's word um, or that I can't, that there's a hierarchy of what I am allowed to do. Um, and, and, and so I just, I just think that needs to be acknowledged too, that like, it's a, it, it's a place of privilege for you guys to be able to see, say like, I, you know, Either Mike or Matt could, I mean, well, actually you're both married, so you couldn't, but, um, <laughs> could convert to, there's, there's, pl- you, but you couldn't be a priest. I could be a deacon. You could be a deacon or an Eastern Catholic priest. It's true. Um, which, I mean, there, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things historic, my, 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 my degree was in history and, uh, religious studies, so, um, a lot of my, issues with the Catholic church come from the historical way in which things have been done. Um, uh, and, and, and believed so, but from, from this particular standpoint, um, it's a place of privilege to be able to say like, sure, I can, I can, I could convert and join this, you know, this, uh, group and still be able to basically live my life and do whatever it is God's called me to do. And I don't have that ability. Um, so that's true. Well, we've been recording for an hour and 20 minutes. And so we definitely need to uh, transition. And I will just say to end the conversation, I'm just not that sacramental. And uh, Dan Morrison already knows. So transition music time for the tweet of the week. Here comes the tweet. Do, 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 do. Yeah, your best Eric Metaxas voice. You're going to read uh, that one. I'm going to tell you now, I don't know what he sounds like, so I'm just going to make up a voice for him. Do that. This is just a reminder that we are living through insane times in which people are saying many insane things. If you agree with that, it means that you are still sane. Stand firm. The truth always comes out eventually. Always. I appreciate that Ian's Eric Metaxas voice is the MyPillow guy. I actually don't know what he sounds like either. I've never listened to him. Uh, your Eric Metaxas is very Mike Lindell. Yeah. I've never listened to him because I've never seen the ads and I don't know what he sounds like. Oh my gosh. Okay, so here's 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 the problem. There's no problem with this. Eric is right. No. Eric is 100% no. correct on no. this one. No. I'll show you why, but go ahead. No, you go first, Matt. So what did Eric say? We're living through insane times. We are. That's true. That is true. Now, now take out the word people and put in the word Eric. <laughs> in which Eric are saying many insane things. And it's not wrong. <laughs> Eric is saying some very insane things. You're sane. Agreed. 
flawless logic. <laughs> but but this whole this whole aspect of like uh, what's what's the phrase? Um, Stupidity. No. Um, throughout throughout the last several years. Um, especially with the pandemic and everything, everybody's talking about things being the worst they've ever, ever been, or we've like unprecedented, which it is for us, or we've living in this insane thing. There's almost like a, um, victim mentality isn't, um, but it is though, but it's a little bit of victim mentality. Like we're living in insane times. And I'm like, no one's had it as bad as me. Go back to the black plague. I don't want to hear it. Like go back to like, I just, I just have a really hard time <laughs> with that. Even, even people talking about it's so much more difficult of like, cause it, it, pornography is so much easier to access and like all that, like the sexual. And I'm like, dude, there were literally prostitutes out on the street, like barren. Like, don't give me that, that this is so much harder to be a man and stay like whatever. So let's talk about the way temples used to operate, shall we? <laughs> exactly. I, I just, I have, I have such an issue with this, like. A woe is me. Um, yeah, victim mentality isn't the phrase I want, but it is the one that's closest because I just can't think of the other thing right now. Um, and, and it just grates on me. And Eric doing the same thing, like, we're living in insane times and it's insane. It's like, it's just life. And everybody goes through insane things. And we've had, ugh, it just, whatever. He, Say, he, do you guys remember that time in history when a group of, like, I don't know, seafarers took over pretty much the entire british isles and created a new culture and language didn't happen oh which time are we talking about <laughs> like are we talking about the roman invasion and conquer are we talking about the viking invasion and conquer are we talking about the norman invasion and conquer are we like which time <laughs> listen listen if i put my head in the sand and say it didn't happen. It didn't happen, you guys. I, I will say this much. People make fun of English, but it's not English's fault that it's no. the way it is. It <laughs> is the, the fault of conquerors. <laughs> it's uh, the French. Over many and... <laughs> I blame the French the most, only because I like hating on the French language, even though it's the one I probably speak the best after Spanish. So, Ian, what would be fun is if you did a DNA test and then discovered that you're actually mostly French. Oh, that would be so golden. Oh, no, I know I'm part French. But are you mostly French? I'm mostly German, from my mom's side. Yeah. And my dad's side is largely Welsh. He's only mostly dead. I'm just a European mutt. Yeah, Germans haven't had any problems in history. Yeah. Yeah, German Germany was just like... Yeah, great country. Never had problems. Its leaders are great. Win on top of win. No incest whatsoever. Rebecca, I'm not commenting on that, not because I'm trying to avoid it, but because that was an issue in my family. So you are trying to avoid it. <laughs> so are you telling me you're part Habsburg? Because that's what I'm, that's what I'm hearing. Probably not Habsburg, because I'd be very surprised if we were if we were descended from the Habsburgs. We do know we were descended from the Pomeranian region. Uh, get your dog jokes out now. Um, I love... I love Pomeranians, I gotta say. They're but the worst dog breed behind they uh, are not. Dachshunds and Chihuahuas. They are way better than either of those. Um, okay, but they're all trash, so no. way better is- Dude, Dachshunds were bred to hunt freaking badgers. Like, they're badass. Well, that's why they have really loose skin, but that doesn't make them badass. That's why what they're the worst now. So, 
now that we've talked about our tweet of the week, thank you, Ian, for reading our wonderful Eric Metaxas tweet of the week. It's been a while since Eric said something real and true, and once again, he has managed to tweet something that he thinks is in his favor, but it's not for us. I can't do this whole no music thing. This is garbage. Oh, no, this is so bad, you guys. Also, it being called a sex abuse probe just sounds like not a great thing. That That's bad language. Like, that Number is one, bad wording of that. How dare you? You leave Bob, Bob Smetana out of this. After a contentious five-hour meeting on Tuesday, not going to name the date because it's a special date for me, the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee called for a further week of deliberations with the special task force on sexual abuse after failing to greet uh, on the ground with a special task force on sexual abuse after failing to agree on the ground rules for a third party review commissioned to study the denomination's handling of abuse claims now if you are following this at all uh especially on twitter the problem is it's so bad they have to waive privilege in order for an an investigation to be done and they are refusing to waive privilege, which they're saying is to protect people. And I don't think they're lying. I'm just concerned about who they're trying to protect. Right. Yep. Discuss. It feels like as soon as this opens, opens up, the probe really digs into, into them um, that everyone is going to go to jail. Nah, no one will go to jail. They're all white. Oh, no, they'll just they'll just go to new churches. They will take a six month hiatus to go to a special camp and they'll plant a church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Scottsdale, Arizona. You guys, our kitchen sink, our kitchen sink is fixed. That was specific. Yeah, no one weird. cares. I'm so excited. No, I, I, I do care. She cares. I really care. It's I'm sure you weekend. care. You were the one complaining about how long we were taking and now you're squirreling Sorry. around. Focus on the sex probe. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> Mike, I didn't take your meds this morning either, so... <laughs> we need you to focus on the sex probe right now. Um, I'll be back. Okay, bye. Abandoning us now. I was really hoping she would say that she wasn't, so that I could be like, I know, because I didn't use the word properly, but she knew I was just going to do that. Yep. I don't like the fact that she knows my moves. I don't understand why they think that pushing back on this is beneficial. I mean, it is there anyone in the world right now who's looking at what the SBC is doing specifically with regards to this and saying, Oh yeah, they're totally getting this right. Yeah. The guys in the SBC. I mean, that's it, right? There's no one on the outside looking into this and saying, I don't know, man, I think they have a point. I'm going to put this very delicately. Don't Um, do it. Don't be delicate. (laughs) Drop it. Like it's hot. (laughs) I want to I want to make it very clear that that the following statements are not in any way to defend their actions, but to possibly explain if there is actual goodwill intended in their actions. This is my best explanation for it. Okay, I'm actually looking forward to this in the best way possible because I don't get it. So I'd I'd love to see the attempt. To, to give to give as much charity as possible to their actions. Um, the best reasoning I can come up with is that by not allowing 
a further probe um because some some information that may be drug up in relation to other victims not necessarily specifically related to this sexual abuse i could see it being a def- like protecting them from undue scrutiny and exposure to the public eye um now again to reiterate i don't think this is the right way to go but i could see that being the mindset of some people who like genuinely do have goodwill for the victims um, in their best attempt to try to defend and protect them. Um, now, yeah, I mean, that, that is a way to put that for sure. The problem that I've seen with that outcome is that multiple people that I am, I interact with on Twitter and I will say specifically Rachel Den Hollander, who, if you know, she's the lawyer who works on this all the time has said that that's not a valid reason for this to happen. So yes, I think that that's what their counsel is saying, but I think that they've got flawed counsel. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Like I said, that was my best attempt at trying to give a charitable explanation for their reasoning. If they actually do intend to uh, like, this is for the benefit of the victims. I I can't say in full honesty that I think that is their intention. Um, But if it was. And I think to a certain extent, the bigger problem for them is the PR around this. And I don't mean that like that sounds really bad, (laughs) but like, how does it look when we're trying to, it, it definitely looks as if we're hiding something and that's never a good look. And it never makes sense for someone to do that. So if that's what they're doing, even if that's not what they're doing, it's what it looks like and perception is reality. And so it's really hard for me to say, you guys are doing, you're just killing it, you know? And and it does seem as if there are a couple people who are really leading the charge for this inside the SBC, which is even more problematic. Um, Let me see if I can find that tweet. It's like it's one thing after the other. So it's like the whole ridiculous, like the CRT stuff and then more women in uh, ministry stuff. And then like the, it's like the every time the SBC has been in the headlines for the last probably 10 years. But for me, it's feel like just the last six months or whatever it has always been something that they're not really making the right calls or doing the right thing. And. Like this doesn't help them as if they truly think if they truly want to be um, bringing love and hope of Jesus to people, they no longer can do it in the public eye. Because as soon as you say SBC, anyone who knows anything about the SBC is just going to think of the last 15 controversies surrounding them. If I can uh, throw in a joke to lighten the mood ever so slightly in this very serious and important conversation, uh, but the Catholic Church would say that they've been going wrong since 1845, so um, <laughs> that's, that's my one heretic joke for the day. <laughs> Only one? I mean, if you guys really want more, but I'll, I'll keep it to a minimum. I will I will say on a on a general scale, as a kind of broad rule of thumb, um, like any any issue of of sex abuse scandal anywhere within the Christian body, like 
I I am fully of the opinion that like not only should it be brought to light, but harsh judgment should be brought on the perpetrators. Um, and I say that like I, I say that like obviously the probably one of the most famous and well known is the sex abuse scandal of the Catholic Church. Um, and the the issues that came with that. I, I don't think the way it was handled within the Catholic Church was the right way to handle it. Um, but, um, and, and in fact, I, I, uh, I like the, um, uh, what I forget which church father it was, or maybe it was an early Pope. One of them said that, um, the best, uh, response to finding out that such a priest behaved in a manner like that, uh, is that, um, they should be beaten and flogged, um, thrown in the water till nearly drowning and then imprisoned for six months and then live the rest of their lives in a monastery apart from everyone else. And I think, you know, specifically to this in the, in the ministry spheres, um, there are, there obviously are consequences. Um, and I'm all about grace, but grace doesn't necessarily remove consequences. And so for so many people, there's like a fear of, well, we got to be nice to these guys. Cause you know, Jesus. And it's like make holding, holding people accountable for what they've done is nice. Holding people accountable is grace. Um, it's, it's, well, it's, kind of, it, but yeah, no, it, it's fully grace. It's grace for their souls. Um, if, if they should turn away from those sins and, and ultimately, um, you know, enter into heaven at the end of their life because of the punish, the right and just, uh, punishment received, um, in consequence of their actions, that is fully grace. Um, any, any limiting of a proper punishment is in fact, um, ungraceful to their souls because it may, it may allow them to continue to sin further on, uh, which would then draw them away from God. Which is bad. Yeah. That's what I hear. <laughs> I could be wrong. Oh boy. Off topic, but Matt, I got some great news for you. Oh crap. What? My audacity crashed. <laughs> Well, Mike, it was good to pretend to have you on the podcast this week. Which is unfortunate, because I think you actually made some really great comments and points throughout, so I... Yeah, don't give him too much credit. No, give me more credit, Ian. I'm about to kick him off the podcast anyway. He doesn't listen to it. Barely shows up. After I get off, I'm going to... Off the podcast, I'm going to go listen and do dishes. I'm going to listen to the Fire Dumpster Fire Week. For listening to the Barely Safe podcast. Make sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes, links, and show notes and merch at barelysafepodcast.com. All right, everyone, stop your recording. Oh, okay. We have an hour and 47 minutes if we keep recording. Whoops, I did a swear. <laughs> <laughs>